From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As we learn more details about the economic fallout from the pandemic, it's clear young people will bear the brunt of the downturn. Today, Mike Second on how COVID-19 is fueling generational inequality. Mike, it's been 12 years since the global financial crisis. What can we say definitively about the impact of that time here in Australia? Well, the Rudd government saved Australia from the worst of the global financial crisis through massive and targeted stimulus. The government of Australia is today launching an unprecedented $42 billion nation-building and jobs plan. The Prime Minister says it's important for governments to act early, decisively and responsibly when it comes to this crisis. They had a lot of help from the fact that Australia had a, you know, pre-existing, pretty well-designed social safety net and a well-regulated labour market. And and we also benefited from the Chinese government's stimulus, you know, which kept our two-way trade happening. Mike Seckham is a Saturday paper's national correspondent. But the bottom line still is that at a time when the world economy experienced a huge shock, Australian incomes continued to grow and inequality actually decreased marginally over the succeeding few years. So you'd have to say it was a pretty, pretty successful thing. But that is not the same as saying that Australia escaped unscathed from the GFC. The standout there is that young people in particular experience something which economists call scarring. While economists say they're starting to see signs of economic recovery, it's clear that young Australians are still feeling the effects of the global financial crisis. Well, it's been quite tricky. It's quite demoralising, really. It'll take years for young Australians to recover from this slump. I spoke to Professor Jeff Borland, who's a, um, a labour market economist at the University of Melbourne. And he says scarring is what happens when there's some kind of negative impact on a worker. Borland has analysed the employment effects of the GFC, which show that those who were already established in the workplace, those aged, say, 25 to 54, bounced back reasonably quickly. The GFC impacted to some extent on all age groups, People who are aged 25 to 54, they experienced a a small decline in the proportion who were employed, but by far the largest impact was on people aged 15 to 24. They they experienced about... While Australia was ranked in the bottom third of unemployment rates out of 34 OECD countries assessed, it had the third highest youth share of total unemployment at 37% whereas the youth share of the population is is only 16.4%. So it was more than, you know, more than twice as much as you would expect given their relative proportion of the population. There was no V-shaped recovery for these people. It was more like an L. It went straight down and then it went flat and never bounced back. And Mike, this generation of workers wasn't exactly having an easy time before the GFC, were they? Well, even before the GFC, their lives were getting harder. Under the Howard government, inequality increased quite sharply as a result of various decisions that government made that gave preferential treatment to investment income over labour income. So that meant that asset prices boomed, which massively benefited those who already had assets, and it locked out those that didn't, particularly as younger Australians. So, you know, we see home ownership rates were dramatically lower, things like that. And there was also a, a sort of a, um, a class element, I guess you would say, involved as well. 
which is that those unemployed people with the lowest levels of educational attainment suffered far worse. Right. So there's this perception that Australia emerged from the GFC in pretty good shape. But in reality, younger people who were already struggling economically took a big hit. Has that trend continued or has there been some recovery for them? The reality is that younger Australians have been doing it tough for a long time. Borland points out that since the GFC, slower rates of economic growth and the increasing uh, employment of older Australians, you know, there's more older people staying in the workforce, which has tended to crowd out younger people coming in. And they were also the ones most affected by changes in the labour market, you know, casualisation of the workforce, the gig economy, insecure employment generally has impacted their lives much more than more established workers. So these are the effects of the last financial crisis more than a decade ago now. How will this group of workers, millennials, emerge out of our current economic crisis triggered by COVID-19? Well, the early signs aren't good. Unfortunately for them, also, it doesn't look like the government is is looking to the long-term lessons to be learned from the GFC. So, you know, it doesn't take much reading between the lines to see that the Morrison government's plan for the recovery from the, this economic catastrophe, I think you could call it that now, um, is essentially the same as, as the recipe that it had before the crisis. You know, in good times or bad, their prescription is essentially the same. Small government, lower taxes, trickle-down theory. Those are the measures that are designed to help business, but not necessarily younger workers who tend to be impacted by this casualisation and insecurity. So, you know, put it like this, the coronavirus might be novel, but the government's response is certainly not. We'll be back after this. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Mike, we're talking about the government's economic response to COVID-19. Not so much the short-term stimulus, but their longer-term recovery plan. What do we know about what the government's thinking? We learned a bit more about their thinking last Wednesday. Scott Morrison took to Twitter and tweeted about it. He said he'd just got off the phone from a call with Donald Trump. To quote him, he said, we had a very constructive discussion on our health responses to COVID-19 and the need to get our market-led and business-centred economies up and running again. There was a second tweet which said that Australia and the United States would continue to, quote, align our efforts as we work towards recovery on the other side of the virus. So um, uh, that doesn't seem to be a very good sign for anyone worried about inequality. I mean, if we're looking to the American model, it's not a good place to be looking. And there have been a lot of other signals of where the government is intending to, you know, sort of go back to the, the status quo ideologically. Josh Frydenberg, the Treasurer, went on ABC Radio the same day that Morrison was um, tweeting. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg joins us now. Treasurer, welcome back to breakfast. 
Nice to be with you, Fran. And he went on to spruik the case for tax cuts for big business, for more deregulation and for changes to the industrial relations regime. We're going to have a higher debt burden as a result of this crisis and the spending that we had to undertake. Uh, and the way to meet that um, uh, higher debt burden is not through higher taxes, but is through growing the economy. He said that the government was standing by its commitment to lower the uh, the total tax take, the total share of, of GDP that goes to government, um, to 23.9%, which is several percentage points lower than it is now. We'll continue to retain an open mind uh, as to how we can go forward uh, to, to lower the tax burden overall. And as you know, we have a... It's an arbitrary figure that they've settled upon, but it, it takes us back to where things were in the Howard years. Which is an important, uh, an important speed hump to, to remind everyone that we need to keep taxes lower. Frydenberg also recommitted to very large personal income tax cuts that have been legislated that haven't yet been implemented, and those heavily favour high-income earners. The other thing, of course, was that Frydenberg described our corporate tax rate as being uncompetitively high compared with those in the US, Britain and Singapore. We did what we could, which was to reduce uh, the company tax rate for small and medium-sized businesses. We tried, but unsuccessfully, to do it for larger-sized businesses. And it's, it's quite true. Our corporate tax rate is higher, at least for big corporations. But all the three countries that he compared us with are just vastly more inequitable societies than our own. The government is clearly signalling that there will be a business-as-usual approach to the economy once we get through the pandemic. So what will that mean for young people? Well, first of all, if we look at the, um, the figures that are starting to come out about the impacts of the, the sort of economic crisis that's followed on the, the disease crisis, the first figures that came out of the Australian Bureau of Statistics last week showed that younger Australians were far the hardest hit um, economically, just as they were during the GFC. In just three weeks, from March 14, which was when Australia recorded its 100th case of the virus, something like 6% of Australian jobs had disappeared. For people under the age of 20, the number of jobs that disappeared was far higher, 9.9%. And that was double the rate for people in their 40s, 50s and 60s. So pretty clearly, the burden is being borne to a far greater extent by younger workers. And the other thing I should say, of course, is that that ABS data related to the situation three weeks ago, and as we know, the economic situation, if not the health situation, has got worse in those three weeks and are expected to get much worse. Yet, economists are predicting that, that there will be a, a very deep recession coming out of this and we're only just seeing the start of it. Right. So again, we're seeing that young people are the hardest hit in a crisis. Mike, what do those unemployment figures look like in reality? How will lives change as a result of the decisions that the government is making right now? Well, obviously it means a lot of people will be out of work and obviously a lot of them will be young people. But the thing is here that Morrison and the government keep telling us that they expect this to be a pretty short V-shaped recession, that you know economic activity will go sharply down and then we'll bounce sharply back once the worst of the virus is behind us. But a lot of it economists think this is, you know, wildly optimistic. I spoke to Sol Eslake, who's, you know, one of the more respected independent economists around the place, and, and he put it to me like this. Some people won't get their jobs back, and then people will have run down their savings and they will want to rebuild them. There will be higher debt servicing payments for people who've taken, you know, holidays on their mortgage. We'll likely see falls in property prices because an important source of demand, namely international migrants, will be gone for possibly quite a long time. And consumers will be reluctant to spend. 
private businesses will, as a result, be hesitant about investment. The history of previous recessions tells us that people who do lose their job during recessions can take a long time to get them back. And the longer you are out of work, the more likely it is that when you do find another job, it will be of lower status and with lower pay. It will be a long and slow recovery and there will be lingering unemployment. So less jobs, jobs of a lower status and lower pay. Is that the future for young Australians? Well, I suspect it is. And from the tone of the government's comments so far, it looks like that's what they're factoring in. But I should say it doesn't have to be that way, right? The story of the past couple of decades in Australia is one of young people essentially being done over. First of all, they were done over by the Howard government, which uh, very deliberately redirected wealth upwards and towards older Australians. Then they were done over again by the economic circumstance of the GFC and what has followed, which is a period of, of slow growth in the economy generally and in wages and in employment. And now, of course, they're being done over again by the coronavirus, which, you know, is doubly ironic because younger Australians are the ones least at risk from the disease itself, but they're the ones that stand to suffer most from the economic response. Older generations, and, you know, I am myself a boomer, right, who got his university education for free and was able to buy into a, you know, non-overheated property market at a reasonably early age. You know, we have prospered at their expense. And I just think, you know, when the immediate health threat is past, we should be responding with big policy changes that acknowledge the debt that we owe these people. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news, Health Minister Greg Hunt announced yesterday that Australia had only reported 12 new cases of coronavirus in the previous 24 hours, and only one of those was a case of unknown community transmission. Hunt said that it was perhaps the most important figure he had announced since the pandemic began. The low rate of community transmission has led to a number of states announcing an easing of social distancing restrictions. New South Wales became the latest state to wind back current regulations, with Premier Gladys Berejiklian saying that from Friday, groups of two adults would be allowed to visit friends and family. Victorian Premier Dan Andrews has so far stood firm on restrictions, saying that the state would test 100,000 residents over the next two weeks before deciding how to roll them back. Woolworths and Coles have eased product limits on a range of essential items, including toilet paper, rice, hand sanitizer, and antibacterial wipes. Some restrictions still remain, but the retailers expect to remove them over the coming weeks. And the federal government has rejected reports that data collected by its new COVID-19 tracing app could be accessed by US intelligence agencies. According to the government, there is no application of US law in relation to this app. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.